This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, we have got some work to do today to catch up on the long weekend. I hope you had a great weekend, everybody, and it's good to be together. Again, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. You can check it out uh, there, check out all the interviews we do. But especially, let me ask you, do me a favor, sign up for the daily email. There's a daily email that goes out each weekday at 5 a.m. Pacific Coast time and 8 a.m. East Coast time to just under 50,000 people. They get this email and it will tell you what you need to know. It's called Wink, the Wink, the Daily Wink. Okay, so sign up there. Just put your email address in. No charge. No, uh, I don't sell your email addresses. Nothing. Just make sure that you get the what you need to know and you're up to date. All right, today we have to do a crisis Afghanistan update. I think it's day nine. Crisis Afghanistan day nine. And here's what we have now. The Taliban announced their cabinet. And get oh, no surprise, it's all male. So there was used to be a, min, a, a women's cabinet. I don't know what the women's affairs. That's gone. And also someone on the Taliban uh, on the Taliban um, cabinet is wanted by the FBI. So again, I uh, l- let me make two points on this. One, these are not nice people. They've announced that they're going to call themselves the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan or whatever it is. These are Islamic fundamentalists. These are people who are against our values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we should feel badly about this. We should say to ourselves, this is terrible. These are rotten, rotten positions, rotten ways to look at the world that they have, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second point I want to make is don't get fooled. Do not get fooled by the growing media onslaught saying we must somehow do something to solve the problem in Afghanistan. It can't be our problem anymore. You know, it, these are not mutually uh, d- d- exclusive positions to have. Number one, it's terrible to have the Taliban create the Islamic Emirate uh, you know, of Afghanistan and to treat people terribly and to be anti-West and to be anti-Christian and to be anti-everything. This is not, we can have that position and have the following position. It can't be our problem. It cannot be our problem except insofar as it impacts America's interest. Not our preference. America's preference, you watch the media now, is going to spend, and big tech is going to spend a disproportionate amount of time telling us the sad stories of people in Afghanistan. I do feel bad. As a Christian, I feel terrible for anyone who's suffering. However, as, a, as an American... And as someone who has to recognize that you have to have a balance in what you can do about people having a bad time, it can't be our problem, except if it impacts impacts our national interest. And when people say, and they're doing it all the time, they're saying, how can Americans be so lacking in generosity that they're not concerned about this? I'm concerned about all that. I'll pray about all that. I'm willing to, to uh, I'm, look, I'm willing to even put on the internet like the old days when we had Radio Free Europe and we had, we had um, a voice of America would be broadcasting behind the Iron Curtain messages of prosperity and Western ideals. I'm for all that. What I'm not for is the growing drumbeat for America to solve all the problems of the world. 
And so when you hear, I think it was Biden who first said the phrase over the top capability. I think that's the phrase over the top. I think it's so funny. That's what it is over the top, you know, but OTP, I love it. OTP over the top capability, meaning we could send a drone from a, a ship and, and bomb a terrorist cell. We can look by satellite at a lot of things that don't look right and take care of it. I'm for all that. I mean, I'm not for uh, when Biden blew up a, a, a whatever that bus or whatever it was. Maybe it was a a um, maybe it was, in fact, a suicide bomber, although the fact that we've never been told who it was and what they were doing makes you think it was probably just a mistake and they don't want to be caught. But even even still, I, I, I'm willing to have those I, I'm willing to have those kinds of conversations about the difficulty of leading uh, an over the top protect America's interests kind of program. But what I'm not willing to do is watch the drumbeat of stories about and and again here's another set of we have to be willing to have have statements that are are in some tension and understand that they're possible. Here's a statement: We and by by we I mean America were incredibly dishonorable as to some of the people who served with us in those wars. Whether they're, every other person looks like claimed that they were a translator, but there probably are and were real people who helped us and they got left behind. That was a, that was a miserable thing to do. And it lands on Joe Biden and, the, and our military, whatever else. It was not a good thing. And the second point still stands. We can't fix it unless it's in our national interest. It's no longer in our national interest to go back and, and, and saw, because one thing about it is right now, we're being told everybody's a translator, everybody's a refugee. We're not allowed to vet them. We're not supposed to vet them. It would be unfair to vet them. It's, it's crisis Afghanistan is becoming ridiculous, and we have to be stronger. We have to be the people that understand. Again, pray for them, care for them, philanthropic aid for them, uh, a, a, you know, uh, possibilities, again, of education or, or uh, a communication like Voice of America did. That was very effective. If you talk to people that were living in, uh, in the, pre- uh, the predecessor uh, locations like Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic, it, it, before it was the Czech Republic, they would say, oh man, Voice of America and, and you know, this, uh, the pamphlets and all. We want to do what we can to help people as fellow people. But we cannot be the policemen of the world. And you're watching the ramping up of the military industrial complex as well as the media to try to make us feel so badly about what happened that we're going to solve the problem for everybody. We cannot do that. And that's the next part of crisis Afghanistan is the effort to try to talk us into more conduct in Afghanistan, more spending in Afghanistan, perhaps more military in Afghanistan. There should be nothing done unless it's clearly in our national interest. This is something, by the way, that Joe Biden did say in one of his speeches. He was trying to distract from the miserable job he did. But he did say in one of those speeches, you know, we're going to be worried about our national interest. Well, that's good. I'm not sure that he, he should have worried about our national interest when he man, mishandled the uh, exit because it gave us a terrible black eye, which is a terrible thing for our country. But still, he's right about that statement. I'm all for that statement that we should be about our national interest. Now, one last thing about this. We're also being distracted and being told to look on to the next thing, whether it's uh, floods or hurricanes. You know, Joe Biden's up in the Northeast, uh, I think, earlier on Tuesday, looking at the hurricanes and all. We're told to look away. There are Americans still there. There are Americans still there. 
And we ought not be uh, hemmed in by the politics of this White House. We ought to get the Americans out. There's plenty of ways to get the Americans out. And it's going to just take iron will by the president and others to say, Give it, get them out or you're going to have a world of hurt. I mean, again, we have to have some leaders that are willing to be a bit more energetic than it seems like they've been so far. But we, ha- we can't get caught. A crisis Afghanistan, day nine, getting drawn in and drawn back in. And you're watching the drumbeats of war. It's really, really terrible uh, to watch. We need to be careful about it. And we need to be respectful uh, of what's happening in terms of our military who've been put in this tough position. You know, someone, a commentator uh, said over the weekend, our military is so great. It's so strong. It's so well-trained, even if they're doing some silly stuff and their the leaders are saying it. it's, it's still the, the envy of the world. But it just goes to show who's in charge matters. Who's in charge matters more than people realize than the uh, than in, in this kind of situation. And, and who's in charge to give the orders? Who's in charge to make sure that things are done? That's the real uh, that's the real test of America's mettle. And uh, and that's what we have to we have to be thinking about. Again, you know, you talk about change of leadership in this country. It's a long way off to have another presidential race, but at least a presidential campaign will make it so that people get a chance to see what's happening and respond to uh, what has happened and try to change course. And frankly, one thing that will happen is if there's an election, if there's a presidential election, whether it's Biden or Kamala Harris running for president, they'll have to talk about what they'll do, at least try to get on record about how they would be go go about things differently. Because Americans are demanding that. All right, so that's what I've got for today. Hey, we've got an important interview coming up with Cleta Mitchell. Cleta Mitchell is a well-known attorney. I've been around the uh, the uh, legal circles as an election expert. She people don't realize she served. Uh, she's well known. She served as a Democrat state rep in Oklahoma as a young woman, a lawyer, and then she became a Republican, a conservative, and all these years later has, for maybe two and a half decades, been one of the key lawyers people go to to talk about elections, how things work. Well, she's leading some efforts on election integrity. It's very valuable, very valuable. And uh, you're going to want to hear this interview coming up with Cleta Mitchell. So tune in there and don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to find out more and listen to all these things. Be right back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, the great producer, Noah Dingley. Noah says, is the segment, Noah says, because... It's it's just it's coming around the corner next week. There'll be the recall election or recall. Yeah, well, the recall. And the question is whether it succeeds or fails. So welcome back. Noah Dingley. First off today, your 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 updated opinion. Will Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, be recalled? Yes, and I'll say this, because even if there is any shenanigans, and there may or may not be, I mean, you know, I'm not there watching every move, but I think with this California recall special election, you are going to see turnout like you've never seen before. And I think that's really going to work in the favor of the people that are trying to get this done, which is, you know, it goes across party lines. This is not a Democrat movement or a Republican movement or an independent movement. This is a movement to take back California. Well, all right. So but concretely, I mean, you you do see, right, you've seen massive amounts. Well, you, you've seen. Oh, sure. It's out there. I mean, there is a car that had yeah. thousands of ballots in there, you know, um, right. that were right. for the recall election. So, you know, it's out there. Right. So but you just think the sentiment is so strong over the top. What about um, what about on the ground? Um, Southern California has been relatively uh, 
you know, it's had their crisis, but the north is where the fires are. North is where the rolling blackouts are. Is is uh, can you tell? Is that a factor? The you know, the sense of oh my gosh, we just the state is falling apart. Well, the state is falling apart on that level, on the level with the homelessness, which in in so many different areas is just not being handled. Which again, that falls on the you know the governor's lap. But this, for me, has always been about the overreach with the COVID-19 pandemic. He has used it as, in his own words, he can keep the state on a dimmer switch. And he has never given up the emergency powers. He is out of control. That is the reason, in my mind, why he's being recalled across party lines. He has destroyed so many businesses, so many families that will never get back that livelihood that they had before. It. Um, we're talking again with uh, Noah Dingley, our producer. Uh, now, what about the? Uh, what about? Um, I noticed that uh, Gavin Newsom has been giving talks all over the place, and he is by name mentioning Larry Elder, which is a big change, right? I mean, until the, the maybe a week ago, that was not um, you know what, what we were seeing. Is that? I mean, obviously that's because Larry Elder is the front runner. Is it having an effect? I don't think so. I I, I think that people know on both sides that Larry Elder is the front runner. Maybe that's just why he decided to make the change because it's obvious that if this recall goes through, Elder is going to be the one to win. They tried to have a couple of shenanigans to get him off the ballot. That didn't work. So they know he is the main competition, but we will see if the recall goes through. But Elder's looking great right now. Now, also, though, we're talking about Noah Dingley. Uh, what the, the other candidates, there are three or four candidates. So Kevin Kiley is one that comes to mind who has had some standing. Is he getting any traction? Not as much as I would like, and I'm, I'm really not quite sure why. I thought he would be higher up there in the polls. He's just he's a very upstanding individual. We have him on the Andrea K show quite often as a regular contributor, and he's got so many great ideas. He knows how the system works, which is why I think if Larry Elder can pull it off, I would love to see Kevin Kiley somehow help Larry Elder's administration in California. I think they would work very well together. Uh, and and uh, John Cox, is he still, I mean, I'm, being, I'm only being half facetious. I'm, I'm kind of joking, but is he, still on, is he still out there? I haven't seen much of anything. Cox and Faulkner have no chance, and Faulkner has put his foot in his mouth numerous times. Uh, he will be at the bottom of the barrel. Cox has more chance than Faulkner, but there, I don't see any there there from either one of those candidates. And the continuing saga of uh, Caitlyn Jenner, she's just a footnote, right? And a comical footnote? Not even comical. It's like, uh, it's bizarro world. I guess everybody should have known that when, uh, when you know, uh, Jenner uh, uh, got in the race that it was going to be a sideshow. But it's even more uh, strange, isn't it? It's very strange. And, you know, uh, you look some days and the campaign's out of money. You look other days and they're full steam ahead. Um it, there's never really been a whole lot of consistency from the campaign since the beginning, which is kind of, as you said, expected. So this is where I thought the campaign would be. Um, I'm glad that, you know, there is fire from every certain aspect. Every single person running for governor, I think, really cares about California. I might not agree with their policy 100%. I might not agree with how they're going about running their campaign, but I think they all care, and that includes Jenner as well. 
the uh, I, so today your prediction would be. I mean, I'm being I'm de- dead serious now. This is what we're talking about Noah Dingley. Noah say, says of the segment he Noah has been uh, active in in policy politics, observing it, uh, understanding it. Prediction today is that Newsom is recalled and Elder wins. I mean, and how close are, are is each of those? Well. Again, you have to see if there's going to be any shenanigans going on. But because in my heart and what I have seen and what I have observed, I really think the turnout's going to be a lot greater than the Democrats are thinking is going to happen. They're trying to get the, their Democrats out to vote, but I don't think they're going to vote the way they want them to. I think it's going to be an absolute landslide. I think what we wanted to see in the 2020 presidential election is actually what you're going to see on the California level. I think it's not even going to be close. Wow. Wow. All right. Last uh, quick check on baseball. Uh, you're a Dodger fan, but you like the Padres. You root for the Padres, too. Looks like both teams right now would be in the playoffs. As we're recording this, would be in the playoffs. Uh, what's your sense down the stretch uh, of that of the uh, uh, who makes the playoffs? Dodgers definitely make the playoffs. I mean, I'm really hoping that we take the top spot in the National League because I really don't want a one-game playoff, especially with the Padres, because they always have our number. No matter how good we're doing or how poorly they're doing, they always seem to play us really tough, much like you guys with the St. Louis Cardinals. So I'm still looking to take out the Giants. It's, it's a, it's a must-do for us. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be watching. We'll check in again. And by the way, Andrew Kay and I have special coverage on election night. Recall election night. Special coverage on the Answer San Diego. It's going to be course, exciting. Our great producer Noah Dingley will be there to keep us all in, uh, in in line and on track. All right. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, we have as our next guest, it's fun to see her uh, out where she wrote a piece at thefederalist.com. Cleta Mitchell is a very well-known lawyer. Most conservatives in America that will at least maybe say that have worked in in the senior levels of groups, like if you're a star, pro-life group, uh, Eagle Forum group, all these groups, you know who Cleta Mitchell was. And if you had a good luck, yeah, like I did, you got to know her. She was great friends with the late Phyllis Schlafly. She is currently the senior legal fellow for election integrity at the Conservative Partnership Institute uh, right now. And she was a volunteer for the the president, President Trump, after the election, uh, helping to figure out what was going on. I think she did it like a good, like, like Cleta would do. She did a lot of work. Nobody ever knew about it. And then there was some phone call that somebody leaked and suddenly everybody was interested in, in what she'd been doing. But she was a lawyer. She doesn't tell everyone what she was doing. So anyway, Cleta Mitchell, welcome uh, to the program. Your, your piece in The Federalist, House Democrats Pass Bill to Steal Elections in the Old Fashioned Way. And so welcome, first of all. How are you? I'm doing well. It's very nice to talk to you, Ed. Great to talk to you. So tell me, people think right now that uh, Afghanistan is terrible. It's been hard to look at anything else. But the Democrats are still trying to do more stuff, and they've got stuff. So tell us about this, uh, the, the bill in the, in, the, in the House and where you think things are headed. What's going on? Well, let's just look at what they did in August, what Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats did in August. You have Afghanistan uh, disaster unfolding before our very eyes, and President, the President uh, Biden, I even hate to say those words, but uh, absolutely <laughs> presiding over a disaster and lying about it. And um, 
you have COVID and all the lockdowns. You have the southern border, inflation, rising crime. And what does Nancy Pelosi summon the House back to Washington to do? Oh, to pass a bill on elections that, oh, it would protect their Democratic majority forever. It would give legal protections to Democrat House seats. I'm not making this up. This is right. why they, what they did. They did not do one thing about Afghanistan, nothing about inflation. Actually, they did something about inflation. They voted a multi-trillion dollar <laughs> budget and, right. and infrastructure bill to uh, basically increase inflation. But, um, look, they, they are absolutely panicked about the fact that the uh, legislatures are starting to draw, they've just gotten the census data and are going to be drawing uh, congressional district lines in the next uh, several months. And the Democrats have tried Plan A, which was, remember when Eric Holder and Obama were out raising hundreds of millions of dollars to flip state legislative chambers? Well, that didn't go so well. They did not win a single, they didn't pick up a single state legislative chamber. Then they tried in, in their bill that they were pushing earlier this year, H.R. 1, to take the power of drawing district lines, congressional district lines, away from legislatures and give it to, quote, independent commissions, unquote. And that didn't uh, pass. It passed the House, but not the Senate. So now they've rammed through, uh, uh, two weeks ago, this new iteration of what they call a voting rights bill, named after John Lewis, and supposedly it's going to stop all this massive uh, suppression of minority votes, which doesn't happen in America today. But the real reason they were so adamant about pushing this bill through, and it passed on a party-line vote, there, it passed by four votes, there were no uh, Republicans who voted for it, and it literally would give legal protection to House districts that have, uh, that have minorities uh, in their district. Well, every house district in America probably today has minorities in right. the district. Right. Right. We're talking with Cleta Mitchell. And, and, and so what, what, uh, to be clear, HR one was this massive, like constitutional takeover. And that kind of died relatively quickly. It was always like a wish list, but HR one is really saying, basically, if I can summarize it, and I want you to maybe comment Cleta on your experience, not just in 2020, but over the years, but in this it, it, big thing to me is it basically makes the U S attorney general sort of the king of all elections and you can use well, the Department yeah. of Justice to, to, to jam things through. I mean, you, you, you've been around when Lois Lerner used the IRS in a new way against uh, We the People. And now we're going to have the Department of Justice be doing elections. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, that should terrify everybody. Well, it's worse even than that. It's not just that it's the Department of Justice. It's the voting section in the Federal Department of Justice. The voting section is a hotbed of left-wing liberal activist lawyers that have that they have controlled the voting section since the 1960s these are people who are mired in the and frozen in the 1960s who who are racist they're they're complete racist they um they they don't believe that the voting laws should be enforced to protect any uh white voters and there have been cases where uh that were brought and that these people did not think that there should that the voting laws should protect white voters. I mean, these people have been doing critical race theory before we even knew what it was. 
So this would give those people in that voting section control over every decision about elections. If a if a local county want precinct wants to move the voting uh, the polling place from the school cafeteria to the school gym, they've got to go ask these left wing activists in Washington whether they can do that. And this is all done under the guise of protecting minority voting rights. But that isn't what they're doing, particularly when you consider that they you know, historically the, the courts have protected what districts, whether they're state legislative or congressional, that have a majority of minority voters in order to give minorities representation in legislative bodies. Well, the Democrats have been arguing for the last several years unsuccessfully to courts that because minorities, particularly blacks, vote for Democrats, that if there's a majority of Democrats in a district, that that's the same as having minorities because the minorities right. would vote for the Democrats. Right, that's right. That's what they put in this bill. That's what they hmm. put in this bill. Uh, Cleta Mitchell, you've been... Go to the Senate. Go to the Senate. And what, so briefly, what happened, what do you, what is, what's going to happen in the Senate? You've still got the, you've got, they've got to break the filibuster, right? So, um, uh, so you've got that, that, and, and what are you hearing? Well, you know, uh, Joe Manchin, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, who has been saying he's not going to support changing the filibuster rules, which is good. And he opposed S1, uh, which was the first uh, takeover, federal takeover bill. And, and he opposed that and it died, although Schumer has resurrected it and put it back on the calendar for, for this month. But Manchin gave them, gave the Democrats, say, here are some principles that I think should be in a voting rights bill. And so he, he said we should protect voter ID and we should not have federal uh, control. And he just go down the list of the things he said that he would cons- that he thought should be in any new bill, and the Democrats just thumb their nose at all of those. This would outlaw voter ID, and it gives complete federal control over all the elections everywhere. And they do it all in the guise of oh, they're just protecting minority voting rights. When look, I mean, one of the things that we should all be celebrating is that. Black voter participation in America, black registration, black voter turnout has been uh, it's basically on a on a par with that of um, white people. And you look at Mississippi in 2020, the black voter turnout in Mississippi in 2020 was higher than the white voter turnout. But they just don't let those facts get in their way. They they use uh, minority voters as a prop to grab power. At some point, I would hope that black voters would get tired of being used in this manner. Uh, Again, we're talking with Cleta Mitchell. Uh, She is the Senior Legal Fellow for Election Integrity at the Conservative Partnership Institute and has been around these legal challenges on elections. Cleta, one last line of questions. You've watched, again, for decades what's gone on. And, you know, when you see the, forget about what you saw in 2020, when you read the uh, account and I think Time Magazine of some of the lawyers for the Democrats who basically said, or, or an activist, we had a plan to go ahead and change as many of the rules as we can in our favor, fortifying the election. Uh, most of us think in, in, in politics, as in most of life, very few people stop short of doing the next thing, which would be more illegal conduct, but they, they didn't admit that in the article. But now at this point, you say to yourself, 
where are we in this fight? I mean, if if you see state legislatures passing laws in Texas and other places saying our state wants to protect elections like this, at this point, under this president, Joe Biden, are, aren't we headed towards unbelievable, unprecedented Department of Justice activity? I mean, it's happening now anyway, but isn't that where we're heading in six months? No matter what, we're going to see DOJ try to intervene and make uh, and, and put their thumb on the scale? Well, it's interesting you'd ask that, Ed, because that's one of the things I'm most worried about. They're not waiting for H.R. Uh, 4 to pass. They have already challenged the Georgia election reform bill. I promise right. you that the moment that uh, Governor Abbott signs the new Texas law, they will file suit to challenge that. They don't have right. any facts. They just make these assertions about um, voter suppression. And then the other thing that they've done is that they're threatening states about uh, conducting post-election audits. And right. the most worrisome thing that they've done is that, that the attorney general had a call uh, within the last week with over 1,400 local election officials saying, if people try to harass you or intimidate you coming into office, you call this hotline at the FBI. Well, what they're talking about is that we've been encouraging, and I'm organizing and er- er- urging the Eagles and urging everybody to get involved and create local election integrity task forces and be, start going to those election offices in your locality. I mean, I'm preparing all kinds of materials. Where I'm starting a podcast to train people on how to do this. But mm-hmm. the people that they are afraid of are God-fearing American patriots <laughs> who are saying, right. we, are, we are going to come to those election offices. We're not going to be impolite. We're not threatening anyone. But we want to know what's going on because... The election offices have been infiltrated by left-wing organizations, left-wing entities, long before 2020. And it's time for us to let everybody know about that and to say we're not going to let them take continue to control our election process. So yep. everybody will sign on to come to my website, uh, yeah. us, And my podcast is Who's Counting with Cleta Mitchell and sign up and uh, I'm, I want to train everybody to be involved in the election process because we can't let the left do what they're doing. Look what they're doing in California with this right. recall election. Yep. It's yep, they are. The, the, it, they're, it, they're doing things that are unheard of. It really is. Again, Cleta Mitchell, Senior Legal Fellow for Election Integrity at the Conservative Partnership Institute. She just mentioned a website. I'll put it up. Who'scounting.us. And uh, Cleta, the only thing, the thing I'd say is you signed on for it in terms of your life. I have too. You know, I was on the list that Pelosi and that witch hunt committee put out last week or whatever. But when they say DOJ says, call this number and tell the FBI, as you said, normal people look up and they say, wait, is the FBI going to come for me? Are they going to harass me? Yeah. And, you know, you and I signed yeah. up for it. It's another way that they try to chill uh, what's going on. I have to run. That's I have to right. run, unfortunately. I'm out of time. Cleta Mitchell, we'll have you back on again. Keep us informed. Thank you very much. It's Thank Ed you, Martin here Ed. in the. You're, you're welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Donald Trump has come back to the national spotlight, and he returns not a moment too soon. His complaints about the crisis at the border and the politicization of the Department of Justice to harass his supporters are what all Republicans should be shouting from the mountaintops. 
Former Attorney General William Barr, as head of the DOJ, did nothing to stop the countless mail-in fraudulent ballots being investigated locally now in battleground states. While the left has ongoing serial prosecutions of every Trump supporter they can get their hands on, Barr never took any meaningful action against election fraud. Barr allowed the DOJ to be hijacked for political prosecutions, which has subsequently resulted in 500 arrests of unarmed protesters who protested on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Barr essentially abandoned his post two weeks earlier, quitting just before things heated up with the congressional vote on the election. According to Trump, Bill Barr was a disappointment in every sense of the word. In response to a new book revealing Barr's disloyalty, Trump said instead of doing his job, he did the opposite and told people within the Justice Department not to investigate the election. Bill Barr's weakness helped facilitate the cover-up of the crime of the century, the rigged 2020 presidential election. As Trump pointed out, politicized prosecutions by DOJ is something Barr should have permanently stopped. Instead of doing his job, he looked the other way and then jumped ship. Barr's resignation letter, when he quit early, included lavish praise for President Trump at the time. But Barr's refusal to stand up against leftists in his own department leaves Washington awash in tyranny by prosecution. This should not be so complicated. Public servants should serve the public. It's as simple as that. Yet rather than serving the public, Bill Barr left open the floodgates for the public to be harassed, intimidated, and even imprisoned. If Barr had done as much to stop the deadly Black Lives Matter protests of 2020 as the leftists have done to persecute conservatives in 2021, America would have been a much safer place for all of us. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For 50 years, Mrs. Schlafly promoted grassroots efforts to rally conservatives. Today, you can harness the power of social media by going to phyllisschlafly.com and sharing these commentaries with friends across the country. Get started at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We've got to wrap things up. There you have it today. Another great show. And we wrapping up today, we have um, a story that I'm so excited to see because this is, to me, an indication of the mainstreaming of an argument that has been out there for a little while. You've heard me talk about it here. You know, many years ago, now 20 years ago almost, I, in St. Louis, where I lived, I helped with some folks that were doing school choice, school choice, trying to promote school choice and uh, educational opportunities because I lived in the city of St. Louis and I saw such a terribly broken uh, city school system in St. Louis. Most of the kids were low income. Most of them happened to be brown, excuse me, black and brown, African-American. American and minority kids, uh, but mostly just poor, very poor. And and over time, the school system had just gotten worse and worse. It had 50 years ago, some incredibly successful schools that ed- educated white kids, black kids, uh, Irish kids, Italian kids, all kinds of kids of all different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, and even... Over the decades in the 70s, the Vietnamese community that moved from, uh, uh, we had a bunch of refugees come to America after Vietnam. They moved a lot of, a lot of, uh, a large number of people from Vietnam settled in South St. Louis and they got educated in the school system. But more and more people were moving out of the city school system because it was so bad. And some of us have been saying for the last year, 
as there were calls about structural racism, that the only systemic racism, that's a better term, system, or that's the term they use, I'd say it's structural racism. The only one I see, the really big one I see is in education. Every other place that there were, there's racism, it's combated by, you know, smart policies and, and by, you know, kind of uh, leadership. But, and it's not perfect, by the way, that doesn't mean it's perfect. It means that there is actively people addressing the systemic problem of racism, whereas in the school systems, in urban school systems, it's just systemic and structural racism, period. Well, now comes the Washington, excuse me, the Wall Street Journal columnist, Bill McGurn. Bill McGurn is a pretty good writer. He's a good writer over the years. I mean, just a craftsman. And he's a thoughtful, I would say a thoughtful conservative. And I, I don't, I don't, I read him regularly, but I don't, I wouldn't describe him as um, uh, sort of uh, hard right at all. I would say he also is quick to talk about his Catholic faith and um, and that background. And so he's kind of what I would say a thoughtful guy and and a friendly guy. I don't know. This is a funny thing to describe, but um, never too hysterical, never too hardline. Just a kind of uh, probably I've never met him, but probably a nice guy. Well, he writes a piece in the Wall Street Journal about the school teachers' unions. And the fact that they are the greatest impediment to changing what is the worst systemic or structural racist problem in the country, which is our school systems. Now, this is a big deal because he would be the kind of guy that's read by lots of um, uh, uh, um, upper middle class and uh, educated folks. It's the Wall Street Journal. So the Wall Street Journal is communicating to the center right and to the, you know, to the the uh, the more conservative educated class in the country. I think that's a safe description, but, but more importantly, he's kind of a well-known guy and a well-liked guy and someone who is thought, thought of, as I mentioned, as thoughtful. So his piece goes into the fact that it's the school teachers unions that are blocking the opportunity to change the dynamic because why? Because he says, and again, Wall Street Journal loves to have this kind of writing where he says, look, it's, it's the, um, it's the reality of no competition. If you have no competition in a system, you will get no improvement in that system. It doesn't mean automatically the system will be bad. It just means it's unlikely and no, no, not unlikely. It will not get better over time. So you could have a school system that starts pretty good and everybody, you know, moves along. But over time without competition, the schools, in this case, the school system will become protected and therefore not get better and it's precisely what happened back in the day let's go back to st louis 50 years ago you would have had a public school system lots of private school system lots of private schools catholic other religious and the and the reality was those schools were cheap enough and people could go to them as competition so you had vibrant competition amongst all the schools you had vibrant competition within the uh public school system but after a, a period of time the, 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 for example, in St. Louis, the Catholic schools are too expensive for people with low, you know, re- low to r- regular income. You can't afford to pay your taxes in the city of St. Louis and then pay seven, eight, ten thousand dollars to go to a Catholic school when you're in first or second grade. It, it, it prices out. So what happens? People move. And so it's sort of self-fulfilling. People move to St. Louis County. This is my example. And they get to a place where the school is better. And who stays behind is people that can't afford to move. And so the school system admittedly has a harder job. And I've always heard this from school teachers and, and teachers unions say, oh yeah, well, this, the kids in the city schools are tougher to educate because they have more problems, more issues, more. Okay, but they have no competition. 
So anyway, Bill McGurn, you need to check out this article. It is behind a paywall, so I've got to figure out. I'll post it up on social media, and hopefully folks will be able to you know, read it, or sometimes when you're posting it on social media, it will allow you to get uh, some views of it before it disappears or before it blocks everyone. Um, so hopefully it will be available. But even still, you'll track down excerpts, and I've seen commentaries on his uh, statements. It's important. It's important that more and more of us say clearer and clearer that the problem of the uh of of the school teachers blocking real choice and competition is a problem that is furthering racism that's a necessary discussion that we have to have and have the courage to have and bill mcgurn just put the thing front and center into the into the uh into the conversation so it's a big deal others have been talking about it other people have been talking about I mean, we've been talking about it in this program but others uh, and that's a big platform so that's exciting. So Bill McGurn, thank you for that piece in the Wall Street Journal. I'll put it up on social media. Important um, breakthrough. School teachers unions are the ones who are the structural racists. They're systemically racist. They're the biggest impediment to changing what's wrong in this country when it comes to urban education. And that's just the facts. And you listen to Bill McGurn say it. All right, we got to run. We got to run. Thank you, as always, to our great, great producer, Noah Dingley, and for appearing on Noah Says, another uh, great uh, chance to catch up on on the uh, recall election. And thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.